Hey there, welcome back to Girl Take the Lead podcast. Thank you for being here and listening to us. Today, our topic is about humor and leadership. I'm Yolanda Canny, and I'll be your host. And my guests are Karen Buxman and by return engagement, Andrea Canny. Karen is a global expert in strategic humor. She's a TEDx speaker, successful author. Her latest book, Funny Means Money, Strategic Humor for Influence and World Domination, will be published by Forbes Book later this year. She is very serious about humor. She's a brain-based, high-performance coach, nurse, business consultant, and a neurohumorist, where she lives at the intersection of humor and the brain. She helps high performers go from great to mastery. Andrea, who you may have heard in episode one, has a 37-year career as a performer through Asia, Europe, and the U.S. Many of her roles involved humor and comedic performances. She had an extensive career with Disney and was voted vocalist of the decade on broadwayworld.com. She also won the Critics' Pick, Best Actress in a Musical in 2018. She also happens to meet my beloved sister-in-law. I thought to set the mood, maybe you guys could tell a good joke. So we are going into this with with good humor and good energy. <laughs> you have one, Karen? I was going to say, you first. And Well, I mean, a lot. I don't do many jokes. The jokes that I do know tend to be healthcare jokes, like what's the difference between a puppy and a surgeon? Eventually the puppy grows up and quits whining. You know, <laughs> stuff like I think this is good. <laughs> I only know one joke. Like I only keep it. I'm, apparently there's only room for one actual joke in my head, but I love it is that there are these grandkids and they're like talking to their grandfather. They're like, grandpa Rabinowitz, tell us a story. Tell us a story. And he was like, all right, one day. I was hunting in the jungles of Africa and all of a sudden a huge lion comes out and says, rawr, I crap my pants. And they're like, oh, Grandpa Rabinowitz, if, if a lion would have come out in front of us, we would have done the same thing. And he goes, no, just then when I said, rawr. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I love the candy family. I just, <laughs> this That's is just, yeah. Yeah, it's, it's great humor. It's a good place to begin. So why don't we talk a little bit about what is humor anyway? So Karen, do you want to kick us off with that? Sure. Yeah, I like to define humor as that which provides amusement for us. And our sense of humor is to be able to find that which amuses us around us, whether that's intentionally or accidentally. But, you know, with, with what we want to talk about today, it's more the intentional use of humor and how we can leverage that in so many different areas of our lives. In regards to women and leadership, I think it's most important to not try to try to not lose your sense of humor, because a lot of the times as women, we're taught you have to be even more intelligent, even more in the know, um, and even more serious than men just to make it in the same world as them. But at the same time, then we're just stressing ourselves out and we're stopping that uh, free flowing energy that is our energy, our origin source, which was going to make us a better leader. So if we can lead with humor and say, okay, yeah, we're here to be serious, but you know, let's, let's have a little fun too. It's going to, it's going to open up those channels of leadership, I think, and make you more human and Mm -hmm. less robotic, which I think a lot of women think they have to become this robotic militant personality in order to be taken seriously. And I think it's quite the opposite. I think when, when I have a female leader that I think is very intelligent, knowledgeable about the subjects they need to be knowledgeable about, but they're also fun. I'm way more uh, likely to follow them. I think you've hit on a couple of really great points there in that, um, you know, when, when we look at the purposes of humor, one of the things that I've identified over the last couple of years is that everybody tends to think of humor as entertainment, 
and who doesn't love to be entertained in this day and age, man, we could use <laughs> all the laughs we could get because of entertainment. But, but what I've stumbled upon is that there's actually two additional purposes of humor. And these are particularly important for women leaders today, because this is a very holistic um, look and approach. And that is in addition to entertainment, we also have the purpose to influence others. And then we also have the purpose of well-being. How do we build our, our coping abilities? How do we boost our resilience, even our, our spiritual experience? So that humor is this very holistic um, experience that's the cognitive through the wit. It's like, you know, well, why is that funny? It's that emotional piece, which is what we feel when we experience that amusement and that whimsy and that funniness. There's the physical response, primarily through laughter. But man, if you're laughing hard enough, I mean, you know, you got muscles going and jerking and, and body fluids mostly from your eyes, but who knows? I mean, you know, after 50, it, it's just kind of all orifices are fair yes. game. You know, my favorite evaluation came from a woman wrote, who once wrote, um, you, she made me laugh so hard, tears ran down my leg. And I thought that that was very appropriate. You know, and, and that last piece that we have come to identify um, just in the last few years is that social component, which I think right now has become so important that that ability to bond and relationships because through that we we form those connections at a time where people have never felt more disconnected and more isolated we form that engagement that we that we desire so that people are excited about what they're doing and they're eager to come to work they're eager to tell their friends and family about what they're doing and, and even enticing more people like them into the mix. Mm -hmm. And so all these things combined make this a tool that every leader would want to have in their tool belt, but particularly women, because this is a time where because of the nature of humor, a lot of the humor is about that connectedness. And we are relators, we are storytellers, we are, you know, a heart centered for the most part. And I think that all of this coming together is a great time for us to leverage humor, leverage laughter and, and master this for the benefit of ourselves and for those who are leading. Mm -hmm. And I think you've said before that there's research that says, you know, this effect on our bodies is healing and there's a lot of, um, you want to talk a little bit about the research that you yeah. covered about I, that? You know, the, the wonderful thing is that, I mean, we've known about the negative effects of, of stress or distress for decades, but now we also recognize the positive effects of humor on pretty much every single body system that's negatively affected by stress can be positively affected by humor. And so you just kind of, you know, my background was nursing and I just kind of check off the boxes. It's like, all right, the circulatory system check, you know, in terms of, of helping people lower inflammation in their bodies, cortisol, man, that's just rampant when we're all stressed out, particularly during longer periods of stress. And something that I didn't learn in nursing school, but, but uh, Dr. Michael Miller, who wrote the foreword to my book, What's So Funny About Heart Disease, which is not a joke book, <laughs> it's a self-help <laughs> book, but, but he shared that when we're stressed, you know, that's when we release the cortisol. And that's why our body produces plaque in the lining of our blood vessels. It's to soothe that inflammation. And so if we had less inflammation, we would have less need for plaque in our bodies. It also increases the elasticity of our blood vessels, the lining, the endothelial lining of the blood vessels. And because of that, you know, this, this helps to lower blood pressure when you have more elasticity. Um, our respiratory system, it, it allows us to breathe in and out deeper and it, it allows for increased oxygenation. It muscle muscular system is kind of interesting because particularly when you're laughing, 
the first thing we do when we laugh is, is to tense up. Our muscles go into the state of contraction, but then very interestingly afterwards, it goes into a state of relaxation. And this is why you know, somebody tells you something so funny, you just have to lean over and hang onto your desk because your stomach muscles go just totally loose. But what happens is this is really happening all over your body, which at times can be detrimental if we laugh so hard and become so relaxed. As we said, it depends. However, <laughs> um, our, our brains, you know, this is the area that I've really become interested in over the, the last decade um, in that during periods of stress, intense stress, prolonged stress, our brains go into what's called a threat state. And when our brains are in a threat state, we pull our energy, our cognitive energy from the, the prefrontal cortex, the thinking part of our brain into the limbic system and, you know, experience what's, what you probably have heard of as, a, as an amygdala hijack. One of the interesting things about this is that, that an amygdala hijack can make you dumber can actually make you dumber. This is, you know, it can drop your IQ by 10 points. And I want to know, you know, show of hands here and all the listeners, how many of you got 10 points to spare? I'm telling you, <laughs> I don't, I don't, I'm, I'm eager to have those back. And so it, it helps us in our problem solving abilities. There's quite a few studies that have been shown that people who were given problems to solve and different kinds of interventions, you know, some had music, some had meditation, visualization, but the ones who experienced humor were able to solve the problems two and a half times faster. Mm. And so it's like, wow. It, and just the creative process, you know, in a day and age where we don't have enough people, we don't have enough resources, you know, everybody's running around like their hair and brains are on fire. Who couldn't benefit from a little bit more creativity and the process of humor in and of itself is to, it's to pair unlike ideas, put those together. And it's that um, incongruity that we find that makes us laugh, but it's also the training the brain to put unlike ideas together, which builds our creative muscle. Yeah, and I think that all of these things combined just make this the perfect, perfect answer for so much of what we're dealing with this, this year. And I would think leading a team and having those kinds of resources, I mean, almost every team that I ever led or any project I ever worked on creativity and problem solving so that we could be more efficient and move faster um, is, is, some, is a skill that we could all benefit from when we're leading, when we're in a, in a position, or even if you're not in the position and you see things, I think you've also mentioned that it's a very bonding yeah. kind of exercise for people. Do you want to talk a little bit about yeah, that? Yeah. During, during the exchange of humor, when both parties find it funny, because, <laughs> you know, <laughs> at some point I do want to come back to the the fact that there is humor as a, as a positive tool, and then there's humor as a weapon. But when we are using humor in an effort to um, connect with other people, to lift spirits, you know, to laughing with someone versus laughing at someone, our brains release oxytocin, not to be confused with oxycodone. That is illegal. <laughs> we can't do that. But oxytocin, on the other hand, is also known as the cuddle hormone. And when we're experiencing positive humor with another person, this enhances our likability. People would rather work with, they'd rather buy from, they'd rather be with people that they know, like, and trust. And when we're using humor like this, and then we're releasing this oxytocin and giving that positive reinforcement through a dopamine hit. I mean, it feels like we're manipulating the brain to our advantage and basically we are, but why not utilize this tool that we've been given? Because it's not going to cost you anything. It doesn't require lots of extra skills. You don't have to be able to bicycle or buy equipment or even, you don't even have to be coordinated, trust me, because if I had to be coordinated <laughs> to do this, I'd be in a lot of trouble <laughs> But right now. It is that, that wonderful bonding and, and sense of humor is a trait that people look for, whether they're looking for a leader or a lover. 
And, you know, there's a whole nother conversation there that <laughs> um, people who are seen as having a sense of humor are also seen as better looking and younger, just saying. So <laughs> right there, you know, everybody folks, practice your sign laughter. up. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. One thing I, I think on that subject is that most of the time in our work, we're trying to do something important, right? And I, I'm a true extrovert in that I derive my energy from other people. So I thrive on teamwork and collaboration. And I think if you're going to be a part of a team and you're going to collaborate, you have to have free and easy open lines of communication. And if you feel like your leader is not approachable, then a person like myself I'm not going to bring suggestions up because if I feel like I'm going to get shot down all the time or, uh, or if it's just too serious that I'm like, Oh, well, I had this kind of what sounds like a crazy idea, but maybe it's right. Maybe it could look like it's serious on paper, but in a meeting, it could come off as more as humor Then I'd be less likely to share it. And it could be a great idea. So just for me, I just think it broadens and opens up those lines of communication, which then in turn creates a better, more productive team. So guys, do you think a lot of times, I think we think people are born funny. Like it's like, oh, that's a funny person. I'm not a funny person, but is it a skill that people can learn and can, you know, be recognized? I mean, what do you all think? Karen, I think you're the expert to talk. About okay. That. Well, I'll, I'll throw my two cents in on this. First of all, human beings are hardwired to laugh. Babies who are blind and deaf will still laugh. And so this, this is meant to be, I think that anybody who has a healthy brain, um, has the ability to experience humor. And I think that they have the opportunity an ability to be funny. Not everybody desires to be funny. Uh, a lot of people have been socialized not to be funny. I mean, for, for throughout history, it's, it's only been in, in recent decades that it was appropriate and not politically incorrect or whatever for a woman to laugh with her mouth open. It was just, it, it just wasn't meant to be, but when we go back to the purposes of humor and we said, you know, there's entertainment influence and well-being. If you're an entertainer like Andrea, she's just like, you know, she gets, she gets paid to entertain and she's good at it. She's great at it. But then you measure your success in laughter. If you're wanting to share humor, if your goal is influence, it's not measured by laughs. It's measured in the quality and quantity of your relationships. And if it's in well-being, it's again, it's measured in your state of health. And so you don't have to be funny. And that being said, I have a lot of people that I coach and a lot of them say, oh, I want to be spontaneously funny. And when I start working with them, it's been really fascinating to find out that most of them are already being funny. They don't recognize it. And even if I were to write them funny material, they wouldn't understand when and where and how to spontaneously use it. Mm -hmm. And so my approach has been flipped over the last few years in that I really teach people how to do a deeper dive to experience more humor. Because what I have found is that people who really immerse themselves in humor tend to become funny naturally. And then if you want to hone those skills, there's lots of little tips and tricks that are fairly simple to make your content funnier, but to really be able to just naturally be funny. I think first and foremost, you just have to surround yourself with a humorous environment and fun and funny people. <laughs> and the more yeah. you do that, the easier it becomes. And I think there's different um, areas of, of what people think are funny, like people who, you know, read, you know, go to Comic-Con and stuff, subjects that are going to be discussed there. I, I, I would be in another, I went to one and I was like, oh my God, this is a totally different world. 
I don't understand what's going on here because I didn't speak the language, but they all did. They all got the humor and, and all the connection there. But I think what the basis of it is getting a freedom, a sense of freedom to experiment. Like as I started working at the Adventurers Club at Disney, it was a great, I was basically paid to learn how to do sketch comedy and improv. Mm. You know, I was learning from people who had been doing it longer than I was, um, who were amazing at it. And you, you just have to get that freedom, give yourself the freedom to mess up to experiment, to try things, to learn how to read a room, which I think, you know, learning to read a boardroom is great. It, it, business is no different than acting. There, you Status is a huge thing when you're talking about acting. So like if I'm playing the daughter of someone who's an overbearing mother, um, then I have to remember that status in everything I do and say and how I interpret all the lines, right? and my physicality. It's no different than in a boardroom of like, okay, there's the CEO. Well, what's their status other than being a CEO? What kind of CEO are they? It's, it's the same thing. So I think giving people the freedom to, or you know, coaching them into having the freedom to learn how to read a room, experiment, try things, try humor. And if you're in a like-minded audience, you're probably gonna be coming off pretty darn funny. And I, I think you both have pointed to timing is everything. And I think you've probably, who do you think ha, has been terrific at that? You know, uh, that maybe we would all recognize and you could say, boy, they had great timing. They were really funny. I mean, it's somebody who immediately pops into mind right now is Betty White. I mean, oh, you know, yeah. <laughs> she's just, she or, crushes it. Or B. Arthur too. I mean, of yeah. course, since Betty's passing, I've been rewatching a lot of Golden Girls, but just masters. B. Arthur, my gosh, the beats that would go by, like if you closed your eyes and didn't watch her and timed how many seconds go by before the next line, you know, if you weren't listening to the laughter, be like, wow, that's a lot of time. Yeah. But then she, when she finally delivers a line, it's a zinger. So lots and lots of, of great women comics out there. And in terms of timing, you know, there's the timing in terms of a delivery of a laugh line. You know, we know that you don't want to step on your laughs. You want to pause though and give them time to, to experience the laugh, et cetera. But there's also the timing in terms of when is the humor going to be appropriate? You know, one of the things we haven't really talked about is that when we are young, little kids, their sense of humor comes from just pure joy and delight. You know, they just, they're the things that they laugh about. Actually, one of my favorite definitions of humor came from a gentleman named Joel Goodman, who said that um, humor is a childlike perspective in an otherwise serious adult reality. And this ability to see the humor and join delight. But by the time we get to be adults, a lot of our humor comes more from relief. And so we are laughing at, at pain. We are laughing at discomfort. It might be ours. It might be somebody else's, quite frankly. But, you know, it's that, that pain that we're laughing about. We're not laughing about a perfectly good hair day or, you know, having a svelte figure after COVID-19 and when everybody else is putting on the COVID-19 20 pounds. You know, those aren't the things we're laughing about. We're laughing about the things that make us crazy. We're laughing about the things that make us twitch. But for somebody else to find that funny, they have to be able to have a little bit of emotional distance mm -hmm. because, you know, at the peak of a crisis, things are going to fall flat. And so, you know, even with, with COVID humor, you know, it's interesting because for the most part, you can crack jokes about toilet paper. You can crack jokes about other kinds of things related to yeah, hand washing. There was a, a Texas, what do you call those, a public service announcement, PSA, where they were, had some funny kind of image about washing your hands as if you just diced up, you know, a whole bunch of jalapeno peppers. And so 
but, but when I posted that there was one person who wrote not funny and it was like, okay, I could tell that for them, there must be something going on in terms of the timing. They've either had a personal experience, a family member, a friend, or for whatever reason, they're not able to detach a little bit and see some of the incongruity and absurdity in what other people see at the same time. Mm-hmm. I saw an interesting TikTok today. Um, this woman who is a Korean American and she was addressing a comment that um, somebody had put on there about this uh, this comedian who I've seen her do her routine uh, years ago, actually. So I'm not sure if it was if she's still doing this or not. But here's a woman who I believe is Latina, who was talking about going to the nail salon, and her whole routine is about the woman who's doing her nails, and the one person was just asking a genuine question was just, please tell me why this isn't funny, why it isn't appropriate. And I thought it was such a great point to her was what what she said was that she said, if you take the dialogue without the Asian accent, is it funny? And she stated the dialogue and I was like, no, it's not. So she was like, that means the only part about it that's funny is that you're mocking someone's accent and culture. Mm -hmm. And I just thought that was a very great, concise, I mean, this woman is so intelligent. I love her TikToks. Um, And she handles confrontation so much better than I do. I just, I'm like, I watch her in awe. But it was was very helpful to get it explained that simply. Mm -hmm. Do you think that the generations, um, like the millennials and Gen Zers, like their humor is different than say boomers and, you know, Gen X. I mean, could we be, we, because we see the world so differently. Exactly. We won't exactly. have the same background of obviousness that we right. can point to it and laugh at it. Um, because I could see, I could see somebody with the lens of diversity and, you know, taking that very seriously, have an issue. Some of the things you've talked about, like fear, right? I told, I think I told you guys the story that when I worked in a large corporation and the FBI came on campus and they had their guns drawn because they, we were being raided. And my uh, director said, you know, like, what did they think we were going to do? Attack them with our penlets, which is something <laughs> like the size of a pen that has mm-hmm. a one millimeter type of needle on the end. And she diffused the situation instantly for us. She, she took the fear away. Like, mm-hmm. yeah, this is crazy. We're all seeing it. And this is, this is a way to diffuse it. And I think mm-hmm. that's another way right now that perhaps we are living in so much fear right now with COVID and other things. It's really hard for us to get to the, what's funny about it. To, to your point with the different types of humor and in terms of generational humor, you know, your points well taken that a lot of our, what we think of as funny is so tremendously shaped by the socialization of, of what we have been through our experiences and, you know, the experiences of boomers versus Xers versus millennial versus C, uh, you know, all of these are very different experiences. And a lot of the research that I have been kind of mulling through is, is saying that a lot of the, the younger generational humor tends to be darker which to me makes perfect sense. The closer you are to tragedy and death, the darker your humor becomes. Um, When I first started out studying humor in healthcare, I thought that it was just nurses who were the sick, twisted people. (laughs) It was like, you know, as long as the humor was around body fluids, death and dismemberment, they were just laughing their their heinies off. Uh, And then I realized, okay, well, this is also other healthcare workers. It's policemen, it's firemen, it's military. And then I realized, you know, with, with things like, now this will date me, um, OJ Simpson, you know, the whole thing, it, the, all the OJ Simpson jokes, you know, that the, the different kinds of humor that we've seen with different kinds of tragedies, again, as the emotional distance comes, 
And right now, I think we have younger generations that are facing some just really difficult, horrendous situations between pandemic and politics and global warming on top of the usual challenges that we throw in of being a young adult and relationships and family and work and financial stability and all of these things. Uh, it, it just paints a very challenging picture for many people. And I think that that it makes sense that the humor is darker. It doesn't mean that they don't have a sense of humor. Uh, a lot of, of older people might not get their sense of humor, but I think that they're very driven in terms of communication to use a lot of humor. And I mm -hmm. think that to communicate with them and to be open-minded and, and learn more about their humor, just like you would want to learn more about different people's musical tastes and appreciation you know, if you've got a, a whole office full of Gen Z's, if you're playing, you know, 50s pop and 60s rock and roll and then disco from the 70s, I mean, you know, they may be wanting to shove pencils in their eyes. But, uh, but, <laughs> so, you know, the same could be true of the humor. Is it the kind of humor that they relate to and that they get and appreciate and to to have in mind that variety of humor so that, that you mm -hmm. can better relate and communicate with one another. I was going to say exactly what she touched on was gallows humor and how important it is because again, it's that team sense of a team where you're like, okay, this is how we're going to process our grief and stress and anxiety about what we're looking at every day. And I think it's, it just builds a stronger team. You know, I think today, their humor is much faster and more visual and memes, right? Oh, yeah. Meme, memes yeah. go viral in like, even yesterday we were watching the 49er game. And by the time the game ended, there were memes already out of the cowboy fans who were sad, you know, mm -hmm. and she saw it. The, the girl that had become the meme saw she had become the meme. She showed her friend and it was that instant, you know, and yeah. she was, she was cool with it. Like, and she didn't yeah. think it was an invasion or so. So maybe the, the form is of evolving more. Yeah. Um, yeah, I think so. And in terms, I don't know how it could get much faster. It does get faster though. But if you even go back and look at some of the humor, I mean, I, I did a, a presentation on some, the history of humor for a group. And I went back as far as like great George Burns, Gracie Allen, which I mean, in their, their day were genius, uh, but you listen to it now and it's just painfully slow. You know, it, I, as a little girl, I remember seeing a show called Laugh-In, oh, which that at the time just seemed so fast and you watch it now and it's and you realize, whoa, that mm -hmm. compared to today's humor, it's yeah. almost slow. And, and so it just keeps picking up, picking up, picking up. And I think not just the younger people, I've fallen into it because I am on social media all the time. And I am that person who can waste two hours on TikTok, that there are things that I'm like, okay, I already know what the funny is going to be. It's not worth it. I scroll past it. Or I'm like, nope, you didn't get to the funny fast enough. I keep scrolling. But when I first started on TikTok, I would watch things longer. And so I've evolved too yeah. in, yeah. My view, in my viewing and ingesting of humor. Like a lot of times it's, if you don't get me in the first half a second, then I'm bored, Yeah, you know, and your humor doesn't seem funny. It does seem like you know, they'll wait though, for certain things like the payoff, if you've kept them all along, you know, and I just noticed that with the, with the girls, like how they'll delight with each other and bond with each other when they show each other some TikTok or some, some, and then they'll come and show it to me, like as an afterthought, oh, we'll see if mom, <laughs> you know, we'll see if mom gets it. Maybe. You know? <laughs> um, Oh gosh, this has been such a great topic. I, I don't think we talked too much though about maybe negative humor and how we can help our younger sisters to handle this when it happens to them, when they are targeted. I think Karen, mm. you pointed out yeah. that 
there's always a target in mind and any yeah, in that? any kind of, of, of a, particularly with a joke exchange, and this is a little bit different. I, I, I mean, you can't just say flat out men's humor and women's humor are totally different, but, but there, men's humor tends to be a little more aggressive. Um, there's a target to jokes. They are much more joke tellers than storytellers. Women's humor tends to be more inclusive. Um, it tends to be more story, but when you are the butt of a joke, let's say, or as I mentioned earlier, humor can be a tool, humor can be a weapon. And anytime someone throws a supposed joke at you um, that just stings like the Dickens and you are, are thinking, and then they follow up with, I'm joking, or can't you take a joke? Um, I remember one time when my youngest son was about five years old and he's a, a platinum blonde and, and bright blue eyes. And every night my husband, starter husband, when he um, would get home and sit down at the dinner table, he would start with this, just this cascade of dumb blonde jokes that he had picked up that day at work. And, you know, uh, how do you keep an, a blonde busy, give her a bag of M&Ms and tell her to alphabetize them? You know, how do you tell if a blonde's been at your computer, there's white out on your screen and yada, yada, yada. And if I didn't laugh, then it would be the whole, what's the matter? Can't you take a joke? But this one evening, he's just sharing all these dumb blonde jokes again. And at one point, my five-year-old, his chin begins to quiver and he pushes away from the table and he says, um, you know, I don't like it when you make fun of me. And, you know, my husband's jaw hit the table. And then I said to my son, you know, Adam, whether this is the good news or the bad news, dumb blonde jokes are not targeting young white males. <laughs> that being said, you know, what do you do when you get with that hit with that kind of humor? And a lot of it depends on your relationship with the person who just threw you under the bus, because if it's a, if it's a collegial relationship and maybe it was done unintentionally, unintentionally, uh, or maybe it's from a younger person who didn't realize that it wasn't appropriate to make that kind of a comment, then I think that it's helpful to just let them know, wow, you know, I really appreciate that how much you love humor. And I actually found that pretty distasteful or pretty uncomfortable and, you know, be happy to share more with you as, as if you're interested as to why that was hurtful. Maybe you could try this instead uh, and use it as a teaching moment. If it's a boss, it gets a little trickier. Um, and if you, again, have that kind of relationship, then it, I think it's great to be able to, to speak with that person. If it's, a, if it's something where you feel though that you're being harassed or really put down to the point where you're considering leaving your job, I would talk to somebody else in authority. You know, you don't have to suffer in silence. Uh, and this is used as a weapon and it is a way of bullying. And just because somebody bullies you with a smile on your face, you know, you don't have to take it by all means, speak up and, and address the situation because that's just, it's an, it, inappropriate and uncalled for. Yeah. And I think, I think nowadays there's, there are more resources and there's more sensitivity to um, and willing openness to people going to HR and saying, okay, look, I love my job. I, I basically like my boss, but I feel like if I say something about setting this boundary, that there might be repercussions. So can you open a discussion with them? Um, and I think there's a little bit more likelihood that if, if you feel like somebody generally likes you, but they, they're unaware that what they're saying is offensive, that I think I think younger generations are more likely now to just address it. And I, th I think that comes with the permission that we have to give ourselves to set boundaries. I mean, I'm 56 and I consider this next decade as my decade of boundaries because it took me this long to really start getting comfortable with standing up for myself and setting those boundaries. 
the younger generation is more willing to do it, which I think is fantastic. Yeah, I, I agree. Um, anything else? I, I do want to, Karen, if you want to, do you want to talk a little bit about the seven competencies that you've identified? Yeah. You know, one of the things is that we, a lot of people want to know, how do I avoid crossing the line? You know, when I, when I ask people, what's keeping you from using humor right now? You know, the top three things that I hear are that I won't be taken seriously, you know, or seen as a professional. I'm afraid that I'm going to offend somebody or I'm just not funny. <laughs> so we've already addressed, I'm not funny. Um, my answer to that is great. You don't have to be. There's so many other ways that you can leverage humor out there without ever having to be the humor initiator, instead just being the humor appreciator. Um, that's, that's one step in particular. Uh, you know, secondly, in terms of, of not being taken seriously, just because you have uh, the ability to take yourself lightly doesn't mean you don't have a serious message. And, you know, we can kind of go off on a tangent there of all the different people who conveyed very serious messages, despite the fact that they are seen as having a great sense of humor and being light, you know, political leaders, spiritual leaders, um, philosophers and such. The other though is, you know, am I going to offend somebody and where's the line? And the tough news is that there isn't a line. It's a moving target. <laughs> there's, there's about seven different points on that moving line that you need to keep in mind. And the more you can do this, the more effective your humor is going to be, the more influential you'll be, the more you'll be able to connect with other people. And I'll, I'll rattle them off and then tell you the ones that I think tend to be the most important in most given situations, because they, they're not in a particular order because the, the weight of these is different in each situation, which is what makes it so tricky. One is your bond. What is the relationship and the rapport that you have with another person? Um, second is the environment or context in which you're sharing it. Third is authenticity. Are you really being true to who you are when you're sharing your humor? Because people can smell that a mile away if you're trying to be someone that you're not. Um, the fourth is safety. Can anyone be harmed physically or emotionally, like with bullying, with your humor? Um, the next is timing. How much emotional distance is there in that process? And then the last two are content and delivery. And most people think the emphasis is on content and delivery, but actually the most important in terms of being an influencer, I would say tend to be rapport. You know, what is the relationship that you have with that other person? Because there is a trust equity involved. The better you know them, generally, the more they're going to trust you. And if your humor slips over the edge or it's inappropriate, they'll probably forgive you. But if this is somebody that is you're in a new relationship with, whether it's a client, a customer, a student, or whatever, then you need to really be more cautious or more careful with the humor that you're sharing with them. You want to make sure that it's in the right context. You know, what's appropriate for happy hour isn't the same kind of humor that you're going to be sharing at a board meeting. You know, it's just the kind of humor that I share with nurses in that context isn't the kind of humor that I can share um, in a corporate audience. I, I learned AT&T doesn't want to hear about body fluids, death, and dismemberment. You know, it's just, it, there, there is a difference. And I think that the whole issue with safety because this really is paramount with establishing trust. And you're not going to be able to influence people, at least in a positive way, if they don't trust you. And humor can be used very effectively to build trust, particularly if you use a little bit of self-effacing humor uh, and show that you know, you're human, that you do make mistakes, people will either on a conscious or even non-conscious level see that there is that vulnerability 
and they'll feel safer with you. And they'll also be more willing, as Andrea mentioned earlier, to share their mistakes because there is that sense of trust. And so keeping all of these competencies in mind, um, whether you're using the humor yourself or you're mentoring others, this can really make for so much more effective humor and then everybody wins. Oh, that sounds great. Andrea, anything you want to add? No, I, I just think what's most important, um, one of the many things that, that uh, Karen just said, that, that you have to really think about the other person. How is this going to land? You know, we talk about how a joke lands. Sometimes we think something in our head and I've certainly experienced this firsthand and you say it and you immediately regret it. And so if you can start getting into that and getting in touch with that part of you, that's like, how am I going to feel about this afterwards? Am I going to feel like I'm, uh, I'm helping someone out? Like, am I doing this just because I think it's funny? Like, sure. We all have bitchy thoughts in our head, but is this going to make the other person feel bad? If we just lead with empathy in our humor, I think it's, this, the safety is in check. Point two is a good one too, because Andrea, it brings back again, the difference between what is our purpose? If our purpose mm -hmm. is entertainment, you know, you have a lot more leeway because somebody who, you know, particularly if you're on a stage, if somebody's paid money, they've more or less given you their permission. You know, it's like, okay, I signed up for this. You may be abusing me, but you know, <laughs> it, that was our tacit agreement in a workplace setting that's not the agreement, you know, they, you really do have to keep more of these things in mind because we're not trying to entertain them. We're trying to influence them, or we're trying to motivate them, inspire them, teach them, um, help them to be healthier. And in those instances, um, the, the rules uh, and guidelines are just, they're different. And to keep mm -hmm. that in mind as a leader. And, you know, one last thing that, that I'd like to add is to, to make this a consistent and intentional practice. You know, we, we know when we're trying to lose 10 pounds, you know, you can't just fast in one day and wake up. Trust me, I've tried it. You know, it's, it doesn't, it doesn't work, you know, exercising. You can't just get on the treadmill one day and be ready for a triathlon the next to practice exposing yourself intentionally and consistently. And the more you do it, the more you re rewire your brain to see and experience more humor. I, I hear from people all the time, you don't understand. There's nothing funny happening in my life. And because we've wired our brains, we're in a state of threat. Our brains are here to protect us. We get more of what we give attention to. And if you're giving attention to all the chaos and the crisis and your doom scrolling, your brain will, will show you more of that because it says, oh, this is what you're interested in. It's not good or bad. It's not judging. It's just a filter. The same thing can happen though. When you say I'm interested in humor, the brain will start to recognize, oh, you want more of that. And it will show you, it will provide that lens that you can actually experience this more. And then you're going to be healthier, more profitable, more abundant and happier. And who wouldn't want more of that? Also younger, better looking. Don't forget. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think that's a great place to end our conversation. Mm -hmm. Although I think we could go on for a few more hours with I this. I think so. Why don't we talk about our key takeaways? And I'd like to just kick it off by saying that I, I think what's opened up for me as a part of this conversation is to look at myself a lot differently. Like I, I would probably fall into that camp, Karen, of I'm not very funny, but I've noticed that when I don't take myself so seriously, I'm the funniest person in the room because I can <laughs> laugh at everything I'm doing because I'll go, how did that happen? Yolanda, why are the keys in the refrigerator? You know, it's like, <laughs> how did that happen? But so I think that has helped me a great deal of just opening up a little bit more and knowing that it starts with me and that it's not an external thing. It's not like somebody has somebody's job to make me funny or, you know, to make me laugh. I'm, 
I, I can do that for myself and I can generate that for other people and use it in a variety of ways. I, I love like in the beginning, Karen, that we, you said even a blind and deaf baby can think things, they can laugh and think things are funny. And I, I just love that you picked this subject, Yoli, because it's, it's one of those things that people forget about when they're thinking about business. They think everything has to be serious. And I'm like, well, you know what? There's a finite amount of minutes that we're on this planet. Why don't we at least have fun? Yeah. for a lot of it. So whether we're working or not, and I know I'm more likely to want to get out of bed if I know I'm going to go be on a set or at a theater um, or a job at a desk with people that I can laugh at things with, you know, and, and I think there's the perspective of just look at the world wishing to find humor, because if you can't laugh at yourself, man, life is miserable. So yeah. we might as well have it in our workplace as well as our home life. And, and I think you're, you know, I agree hundred percent that physically it affects you. Yeah. Yeah. How about you, Karen? What, what is your takeaway? You know, I think that, that what I've really come to appreciate, uh, especially given the, the chaos that's been in place over the last couple of years is that we're at a point in history where it's my opinion that humor is no longer just a nicety. I think it's a necessity. And that I think it's wonderful when we experience humor that happens just by a happy accident. But I think there's way too many benefits for, for women, for leaders, for, for those whom we're leading, for everyone to let humor happen by chance. I think it's up to us to make sure that it happens by choice. Mm. And that's my mission in life to help people do that. So, you know, if any of the listeners here want to learn more about this, you know, by all means, I know in the, the show notes and things, there's going to be information on how to, to get hold of me. Um, I also have a page of just where I put resources for myself in terms of some funny videos and assessments in terms of, you know, where am I right now in terms of my mental health and things like that. And that's at stressrecoverytoolkit.com. And that's just a free resource for anybody that uh, is looking for that. But, but if you come away with nothing else from this time that we've had together. And I just appreciate you guys so much, you know, again, back by popular demand, my favorite phrase, we'll do this again sometime, but um, <laughs> to, to practice humor by choice, not by chance Absolutely. is I think a great thing to take away. Absolutely. Ladies, you're fantastic. I, I feel so light and um, really blessed and thank you so much for for your time to help us with this important topic. Thank you. Thank yeah. You. <laughs> and I got to do one of my favorite things on the planet is connecting two fabulous women together. Oh, Yay. That's so great. I love that. Yay. Yeah. Thank you for joining us today. We hope you enjoyed this episode and will join us next week. Our episode will be with Betty White. Was she more than just funny? Talk to you then. Thanks.